morning or afternoon, wherever you are listening at what point in your day. Uh, welcome to episode two of our English podcast, a podcast for anyone who is interested in ELA instruction and um, all the hot topics related to it. Today's episode will be about virtual versus in-person instruction. So join us um, for some academic articles and um, some lively discussion. All right, this is Ryan, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about what is happening here in our state, Michigan, and touch on some of the CDC guidelines for returning to school. Um, the most recent data released by the state shows that as of January, 48% um, of Michigan school districts were offering in-person learning, 35% were fully remote, and the remainder were offering some sort of hybrid option with a mixture of online and in-person learning. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer said a few weeks ago that she wanted all K-12 districts to offer some form of in-person learning by March 1st. Last week, Whitmer gave some updates on the state's virus response, and this included information on the reopening of in-person learning for K-12 schools. Based on this guidance, K-12 teachers and staff were bumped up on the state's priority list for vaccines. According to the Monroe News, as of this week, 65% of Michigan educators have received at least one dose of the vaccine, compared to only 18% of educators nationally. Whitmer also announced that beginning this week, all educators in Michigan are now eligible for a weekly antigen test. However, Whitmer said that she is worried that the state may run low or even run out of these tests. In order to provide the weekly tests needed to schools as well as to nursing homes, the state needs a supply of three to four million antigen tests. The federal government has provided COVID relief funds to the state. However, these funds have been held up in the state House of Representatives and Senate where an agreement has not been reached for how to spend the money. Whitmer says the money should be spent to buy more antigen testing kits and other necessary supplies for schools to return safely. Um, now I'm going to talk just a little bit about some of the information from the Centers for Disease Control. Um, the CDC has released a great deal of information on how schools can operate safely during the pandemic. Um, according to their most recent guidance, which was released on February 11th, 2021, schools can operate with only minimal risk by adhering to the following guidelines. Class sizes should be small. Cohorting, cohorting and alternating or staggering schedules are encouraged. Schools should avoid unnecessary mixing of students, staff uh, throughout the day. Uh, there should be no sharing of objects between students and teachers. Students and teachers should follow all steps to protect themselves, including masks, social distancing, and hand hygiene. Um, and there should also be cleaning of surfaces and objects throughout the day, and it should be regularly scheduled and consistent. Um, in addition to these guidelines, the CDC also encourages schools to educate staff and students and parents on when they should stay home and when it is appropriate for them to return to school. Recent studies also suggest that air circulation is key to maintaining a healthy and safe school environment, and the CDC is now recommending that classroom windows be open to allow for air circulation whenever feasible. Goody here, and I'm going to be talking about equity in a hybrid or virtual uh, setting. Uh, 
my information here is going to be coming from a Panorama Education article, and it is called Three Key Equity Considerations for Distance Learning from Education Leaders. Um, one of the quotes that I'm going to be starting with today is, we are all novice and involuntary virtual learners and teachers. We have to understand that everyone is stressed right now. Everyone has different access, different prior knowledge, and we have to understand that we have unconscious bias in our schools and with what we believe and know to be true about, you know, access to technology and what students and or teachers know about technology. And we have to understand that poverty plays a major role in access to and acquisition of those resources. So what do we need to do as educators? The first thing that we need to do is we need to create a space for student participation. We have to be able to engage them in multiple ways, whether that be through private chat or chat discussion in the meet that you have or the Zoom meet that you have, whether it be through Remind or text messaging, however you safely do that. We have to allow for different modes of communication and engagement so that each student feels comfortable and confident in what they have to say and that they can say it. Number two, uh, we, we really do have to have positive reinforcement, not only for students, but also ourselves. When we figure out something new, when we learn something new, we got to pat ourselves on the back as well. We have to understand um, that now more than ever, we have to praise equally ourselves, our coworkers, our colleagues, and you know our students with their various gender identities, with their various um, racial or ethnic identities, we have to, this leads into number three, we have to value these contributions by people with differences. Um, because in a virtual world, it is very obvious and even more obvious than, than in the real world or in the in-person face-to-face world that we, we are different and we have to value each input. We do not want to uh, make it more apparent or evident that we uh, have these biases. We need to make sure that we are being very cognizant to get rid of those and, and value contributions by every one of our students. Uh, number four, we have to uh, also accommodate individual learning differences and prioritize accessibility. Uh, this we always do as teachers, but we have to really do it really rapidly now. Um, we are thinking on the fly. We are making uh, adjustments very quickly and very rapidly for all of our students. And there's a fine line with, you know, this accessibility and not feeling overwhelmed. So we really have to do well to take care of ourselves and to take care of our students. And lastly, we we really in this virtual world have to build independent learners who advocate for themselves, which is going to be a skill that's transferable to, you know, I don't like the term real world, but to their adult lives and, and beyond, you know, just these four walls of the school when we get back face to face. It is about really the self-motivation, this self-advocacy. Students should have control of their learning, and we need to be at the forefront of that and, and teach them those skills so that they can be successful, you know, now and forever. Hi again, I'm Sarah Rogers. I'm part of the ELA department over at University High School. Um, so today I'll be discussing an article I found uh, from Education Week titled, how hybrid learning is and is not working during COVID-19. 
uh, six case studies. As the title indicates, the article looks specifically at hybrid models of learning that have been used this school year rather than any fully remote or fully in-person models. Um, one thing that was interesting to me was just the different variations on the hybrid model that school districts came up with across the country. Um, there are really so many different ways that hybrid learning can be set up. And these case studies drew attention to the pros and cons of each of the different models. So I thought I'd just walk us through a few of the different cases and then later on in the episode, we'll talk a bit about them and um, how they compare to our hybrid learning model at UHS, although we really can't speak too much on it uh, as far as pros and cons go because we haven't transitioned to it yet. Uh, so the first case study was on Victoria Independent School District in Texas. They have 14,000 students enrolled and at the beginning of the school year, each student chose to either uh, attend school in person five days a week or attend school virtually five days a week. The teachers' classes are a mix of in-person and virtual students uh, learning synchronously. As a teacher, um, just reading about this first model uh, kind of stressed me out. <laughs> uh, they interviewed a seventh grade English teacher in the school district, and she said that uh, not being able to move around the classroom was definitely a challenge uh, because she was tied um, to her computer while also having in-person students. She also mentioned that her class dynamic was always changing as students opted to come uh, learn in person. So that told me that the school allowed families to shift from virtual to in-person learning at their will. As far as benefits go, she uh, did appreciate that using technology uh, allowed her to have a more tangible record of her students' progress. For example, being able to see if a student had opened a document, timestamps, et cetera. Uh, but when she spoke on the overall experience, she said it's nothing short of exhausting. It's basically like teaching two different classes at the same time in one class period. Uh, to which I say, I'm so glad that we aren't using this model. Uh, the next case study was done on uh, Santa Fe Public Schools in New Mexico which has 13,000 enrolled students. Uh, this one was interesting. The article said that the district is gradually bringing students into school buildings based on the number of teachers who are <clears throat> willing to return and the amount of space in classrooms to allow for social distancing. But they are prioritizing their special education students and English language learners to fill the in-person spots. In this model, teachers who are teaching in person are also teaching virtual students synchronously. So you still have that two classes at the same time challenge. Uh, I didn't care for that, but I did love that in this model, the school district seems to treat their teachers as trusted professionals, allowing them to make the decision about if they can feasibly teach in person based on their own um, vulnerabilities. Uh, as the article states, giving teachers the option to stay home engenders more goodwill and prevents people with underlying health conditions from having to choose between their job and their safety. Um, the next case study is more similar to what we're doing here at UHS. This study was done on Marshall Public Schools in the great state of Michigan. Uh, it's Michigan, so obviously it's going to be good. Uh, this is a much smaller school district with only a thousand enrolled students. Um, anyway, uh, 
they have their elementary school students attending in person, um, uh, in person school four days a week, and their middle and high school students in person three days a week. The other days of the week, these students are learning remotely, but here's where it got interesting. Students are split into five groups with each one having their remote learning on a different day of the week, which sounded very confusing to me. Um, the district tried to ensure that students who live in the same household have the same remote learning day. Also, a few English language learners and special, uh, special needs students and students who are new to the district attend school in person every day. So how is this going for them? Well, the director of teaching and learning for the district said, I would say our teachers are very overwhelmed. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. She said that the students can easily be lost in the shuffle with virtual learning. Although if they're seeing their students at least three days a week, I would think that this would be less of an issue. Uh, one benefit was that meetings with multilingual families have gone a lot smoother for interpreters than usual. And also for parent-teacher conferences, um, they're less hectic for families because they don't have to navigate the school building uh, to find teachers' classrooms, although they do need to navigate Zoom. Um, and then our last case study that I'll go over today is um, done on Milton Area School District in Pennsylvania, which has 2,000 enrolled students. In this model, students could choose a mix of in-person and remote instruction where they could attend school in person on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, or students could choose 100% synchronous online instruction, or the third option, um, they could choose largely asynchronous instruction through the Milton Cyber Academy, which was already being used before the pandemic. Uh, according to the article, one challenge for this district was that older students are reluctant to turn on their cameras and microphones, uh, whereas the younger students are excited to see their classmates and engage. Uh, because of the older students being reluctant to engage, the district is now specifying to students that they need to be ready to turn their mics and cameras on when a teacher calls on them, which is a controversial decision. At UHS, we don't uh, require that students turn on cameras and mics in their homes, and we can, uh, we'll talk more about the reasoning behind that when we get to the discussion portion of the episode. Uh, one benefit that was noted was that discipline rates in the district are down, which isn't surprising when you have a large portion of your students learning from home. So those are just a few of the different hybrid models that were looked at in this article, all of them with distinct differences and all of them facing challenges. Um, I don't think any school district has a perfect model for educating kids in the middle of a pandemic, but I would argue that some models are far superior to others, and we can hash that out later in the episode. Hello, um, this is Brooke, and I'm going to talk about the complexity that comes with hybrid learning, in-person learning, and navigating between both of those learning environments. And an article that I read that was extremely helpful was from Education Week called How to Make Lessons Cohesive When Teaching Both Remote and In-Person Classes. So I think that, you know, depending on where you're at and what district you are in, we're all at completely different parts of our COVID um, learning journey. So this was nice because it had um, a lot of strategies that helped with hybrid learning, in-person learning, and then 
kind of a mixture of both. So the main advice from the article is to condense into one learning plan. Do not try to plan for one set of hybrid lesson plans or one set of in-person lesson plans, one set of online lesson plans. Um, the article stated, don't try to plan two completely different courses, experts say. Instead, think about goals for the class. What is it that you want students to know and be able to do by the end? Those goals should guide instruction across environments, even if you're using different techniques to achieve them online and in person. So the main question the article addresses is like with so many moving parts, how can teachers make sure all students have a coherent learning experience? And this really set um, in with me is like, have the same goal, have the same instruction between in-person and online learning, and you can modify a little bit, but don't stress yourself out with creating two different, like, entire classes. Um, one suggestion that also really caught my eye was to have the same materials in both settings and stick with the same curricular progression. So, again, have that same end goal. Um, my initial thoughts on this is that it's probably a lot easier on the secondary level to follow rather than have the same um, lesson plans for elementary instruction. Um, another suggestion from other teachers that I found uh, extremely helpful in teaching is the suggestion not to reinvent the wheel. So use those digital resources that are already created. Ask your district what they have purchased. Use those um, and then navigate through them. Use private resources that you can find on your own. Obviously that uh, problem may be like the financial costs on the teacher. Um, and it, it does take a lot of time to transition from a complete in-person learning to a complete uh, technology-based curriculum. However, um, I think that if you take what curriculum you already have and make those small modifications, it's definitely doable and it will make your life a lot easier when you're navigating between both settings. Um, this remote like first approach to instructional planning could make hybrid schedules and socially distanced classrooms run way more smoothly. Like you might not be circulating in class, you might be at your desk. Um, teaching anyways. And then um, many teachers have already suggested just to go paperless and have everything on whatever platform you're using. Um, personally, we use Google Classroom. So everything that I teach um, or plan to teach in person, I will be putting on Google Classroom as well. And that will really help um, any abrupt shutdowns that might occur it also helps like equity and inclusion for students that may be quarantined for long periods of time. They can access all the material, whether they're in school or out of school. Um, there were some differentiations of ideas to include based on in-person and hybrid learning because the needs of students and the ability has different challenges and capabilities. So again, you have the same plans, you have the same end goals, but the um, approach may change based on the environment. Um, one thing that it addressed was that in-person learning gives an opportunity to support kids' emotional, social-emotional health by focusing on instructional work that builds relationships, getting back to, um, you know, just that mental health aspect of being around people again. So some ideas that stuck out to me when you're in-person was to go back to, um, like, sharing their thinking. So having discussions, obviously, you can remain socially distanced for that. Um, 
to share how they approach the task, like go through and evaluate their thinking, um, working on collaborating to solve problems. Again, you can do that technology based in person, but still have those really important conversations. Um, you can have Socratic seminars, you can have debates in person. Again, they can still remain socially distanced. Um, you can conference about students writing, uh, provide small group instruction in response to individual student needs, introduce a new concept, ask um, with student questions throughout. Um, and then these, like switching over to remote, you can still have some of these, but you use like more of a technology-based interaction. So the article suggested that teachers focus planning on integrating students' questions about remote work into in-person lessons. So if you are working asynchronously and synchronously, make sure on those synchronous teaching days that you are addressing that asynchronous work, that you allow opportunities for questions, for discussions to show one, the importance of completing it and two, addressing any confusion that may have. So they also suggested that um, if you are working remotely or if you're teaching remotely to incorporate some read alouds or reading text independently um, and audio versions of that text for your struggling learners and struggling readers that they can work or read through, reread again um, asynchronously. Also, a very great best practice is to record short lectures or videos providing direct instruction using document cameras, screen recordings. This helps students like rewatch, reread, and like rework these ideas. The last um, one for this one was working with technology, like providing peer feedback. And um, obviously Google might be a lifesaver for this. Um, oh, one that really we have worked on it in, at UHS is the gradual release of responsibility. So the I do, we do, then you do so that they can work asynchronously on their own. So hopefully wherever you are in the school year, um, you're navigating with confidence and some ease and some of these suggestions might help you. Okay, we've reached the discussion portion of our topic today. Uh, so who'd like to start us off? Well, I, um, in my research, was excited to see that Michigan is so far ahead with vaccinations, because I know when we're talking about going back to school, that's been one of the big issues is that teachers want to be fully vaccinated. And it was really uh, nice to hear that 65% of teachers in Michigan have already received their vaccination. I know I've received my first dose. I think most of you guys have too. I've actually finished both of my doses and I was very nervous at the beginning because everybody said, you know, you get really sick and everything, but I felt fine. My arm wasn't even sore. And so it gave me a lot of, I don't know, a boost for coming back that, you know, maybe it's not as bad as it seems and more people will be apt to get it. Yeah, it is. It's crazy because it does start to make you feel like the world's sort of opening up again. You know, it's not like, you know, a magic thing that's going to protect you from everything, but it is nice to be able to feel like you have a little more safety going to work and going out in the world and doing things. It's definitely, um, I'm eager to see how like our students and just how society has changed. Like this is such a traumatic um, life experience 
I think we're just going to be way more conscious. Like, I don't think it's always bad effects either. Like way more conscious of, you know, how we interact with people, how we are, our hygiene, personal hygiene. Um, I'm just really curious to see like when everything does start to open up and transition back, just the impact from that. Yeah. I was just talking to one of my hours the other day about it, how um, their generation and our generation will be uh, changed so much from living through this like with my grandparents and probably your grandparents living through the great depression and, you know, washing out their Ziploc bags, we're going to have our own unique (laughs) set of, you know, I lived through the pandemic. So now I'm a little weird kind (laughs) of hoarding toilet paper. Exactly. exactly. I'm curious how the kids are going to react to coming back to a full day schedule. Cause I've been starting to kind of mentally prepare my students like, Hey, you know, you're going to have to start, getting up early again and going every day to all your classes and I think that for for us it's going to be a little bit of a, a struggle the first couple of weeks to get back to those full school days for those of oh, you listening um it's about a two-hour difference that we're talking at the beginning of the day and about an hour difference at the end of the day added on and I was just reading an article about um hitting the pandemic wall and you know, this virtual instruction, how a lot of students are hitting the wall, just tired of looking at screens all day. And I personally don't mind virtual instruction, but I think about two years ago, this is where we would hit the wall anyway. <laughs> right, yeah. right, this right. This is where we're tired of whatever we're doing. Um, it's just that time of year. And in Michigan here, this is the time of year that's got the worst weather and we can't see the light of spring yet. <laughs> so it's really kind of depressing out anyway. Well, I had to remind my kids when they were like complaining about the schedule, like you guys realize I, I know 2020 felt like it was five years, but like you used to do this. You used yeah. to get up every day and, and exactly. go to school and then maybe go to your job or play sports or go to the store or go to the gym. Like we had these big, long, full days and we have gotten so far away from that in the last right. year. It's going to be a really interesting transition trying to go back to doing all the things every day. Yeah, oh, I agree. I think I, that it, I've also like developed a routine where um, my own like self-care has been important and I'm really trying to focus on prioritizing that that's not cut out from this new um, you know, or back to normal schedule. Yes. Same, Brim. My friend is a um, second grade teacher, I believe, here in our same district. And uh, the Littles went back already this week, uh, whereas we don't go back until the 15th in person. And she posted on Facebook the other day, maybe maybe it was this morning, actually, just how tired she was just how much more was taken out of her. (laughs) It's almost like the beginning of school again, you know, back when you started in August, that, that drain. I think we, during this, we've really given the kids a lot more. uh, We've really been more understanding with our students and really tried to focus on social emotional things. And I hope some of that in you when you go back and hopefully some good things that have come out of this, we can continue to carry forward even when we are back fully in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be a rough transition for the kids when they go to those long days, especially the ones that did not opt for in-person learning because they'll have so many days a week of just being on, although some are asynchronous, but 
still just I think about college classes I've taken that were all online and I would like at the end of three hours I was like oh my god like is this over (laughs) you know it just feels so long so it's going to be an adjustment for them for sure I do think that it is nice for some of the students though I mean I teach primarily 12th graders and a lot of them have jobs now that they've gotten during the pandemic you know working at grocery stores or fast food where they're making pretty decent money because a lot of those places started paying more and having this option to be online and, you know, finish their classes that way and still be able to go out and work and do those things is, is a nice option for them. I think a lot of them are appreciative of it, especially the ones who are kind of good at school anyways, they can, you know, get their assignments on Google classroom, get their stuff done and still have plenty of time to go out and live their lives. I would definitely like to see some more flexibility from the state at some point. I think, you know, education is always the last one to catch up with the world, but I would really like to see some sort of, however we need to math it, what do virtual hours look like versus in-seat hours? Like, we need to have some more flexibility. I mean, the world has shown us we need technology, we need flexibility. How can we build that in and make it better? I agree. I think Mm -hmm. so. In in my uh, children's school district, the conversation for next year is distance learning Wednesdays to give that opportunity for teachers and students to like keep learning in this you know new technology platform which I'm I'm curious to see you know the conversations that stem from that in the I I think I like that I mean and I don't want to say like that we waste time in school but sometimes filling five days of classes like you do have stuff that is filler I mean really yeah Yeah. nice that we can really kind of pare down our curriculum and focus on the stuff that's really important and focus on really doing that stuff well. And maybe we don't need to see them five times a week. And I just love that our teenagers are learning to see technology as a tool. It's not your phone is not this social media thing. It is a tool for learning, right? Honestly, it's probably given them better experience for whatever jobs they're going to have in the future this has than anything that we have taught them. Like every, all of my friends who are not in education, you know, they're working remotely, they're using Zoom or Google Meets, and they're using all these tools, and our kids are going to be masters of that. Yes. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that because I use technology in the classroom, you know, pretty, a lot, but I never was like a Google person I didn't upload every assignment to Google and obviously the pandemic hit and I was forced to learn and navigate through all of these things and I like think the students did the same thing they weren't comfortable with all of the apps and technology and now like it's really opened my world to like okay this is way better mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I mean I've said it over and over again I'm never going to make copies again I am hating <laughs> <No>. this now <laughs> And yeah, but at the same time, I feel like this has also really spoken for in-person education. Like, I don't think, I don't see a future where we're just entirely remote and there's no in-person teachers in high school buildings and middle school buildings. You know, I don't, that used to be a conversation before. And I think that now everyone realizes that you need actual teachers in physical buildings with kids. Yeah. And on the other side, you know, me saying there were a lot of kids who love this. I think there are a lot of kids who this hasn't worked for. Right. There are those kids who definitely need a teacher in front of them doing the work in front of them. So um, I think hybrid model is really what would ultimately work best. And hopefully, like uh, like Amanda said, maybe we can move towards something like that in the future. 
Yeah. I'm curious, though, because I do think that a lot of parents, you know, especially if you are um, just an introvert uh, student and you don't need that teacher support or um, maybe you have issues um, with students at school that this online learning platform, they do better in if um, I'm curious to see, like, how the numbers swing in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Does anybody have any other final thoughts before we wrap up our conversation? No, uh, I just want to remind everybody that um, the next episode, episode three of English is going to be representation in literature. So that's going to be an exciting one. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. It was great talking to you.